We will now worship God in the reading of Scripture. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We will begin at verse 27 and read to the end of the chapter. But the focus of the preaching this morning is going to be on verses 34 to 38. Take heed how you hear. This is the word of the living God. Mark 8, beginning at verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and by the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed." when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Heaven and earth will pass away, but these words will by no means pass away. Amen. Let us pray before we come to the preaching of the word. Our Father, Contained in this passage is your decree. Here we have the commandment of your Son. And these are indeed the words of the Holy Spirit. Ready our minds and our hearts by grace to hear, to love, cherish, obey, and submit to your will 
in this passage. And we pray for the presence of Christ, the voice of the shepherd and king of the church, that his voice be the voice that is heard this morning and not any man's. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We will read one more time. Mark 8, verse 34 to 38. Mark 8, verse 34 to 38. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. Take up your cross and die. This is the ultimatum of discipleship. Christ does not mark it, he does not gloss over, and he does not equivocate the demands of discipleship in this passage. Those who will follow Jesus Christ must be willing to give up everything and pay any cost, even the cost of their own lives. It may come to be in a humiliating and excruciating manner. And it may seem incomprehensible to us to think of descending into severe humiliation so that we would come up in glory. However, the spoils of heaven are indeed promised for our enduring militancy and there is eternal contempt for the deserters. And there is infinite supply of grace and help by the mediation of Jesus Christ to fulfill this demand. With all that is in Jesus Christ, everything is given to us to do just as Jesus Christ says. And there is nothing but groundless excuses that will keep any man or woman from this warfare. Pick up your cross and die. That is the call of discipleship. This is not one isolated exhortation found only in one gospel account. This is found in all three synoptic gospel accounts. It is found in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke. And generally the events are the very same. There is the confession of who Jesus Christ is. Then Christ reveals that he came to suffer. And then this radical call to discipleship. And so by, the, by all three accounts, this is no small part of our discipleship. 
it is a very significant part. Where in the book of Mark does this passage fit? In the first half of the book of Mark, there is a lot of mystery over who Jesus Christ is. They see him heal. They see him give commands to the natural world. And everyone is asking, who is this man? Then at the very midpoint of the Gospel of Mark, it is revealed to Peter and he confesses, you are Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now the mystery of who Jesus is, is revealed. And at this pivotal point, Jesus Christ reveals how he is going to accomplish his mission by suffering and by dying. And in this way, he will come into his Father's glory. And you can see immediately, it is a scandal. Peter can hardly stand the idea that this is how you would get to glory. It's so counterintuitive that he actually rebukes the Lord Jesus Christ for his words. And if you pay attention to the second half of the Gospel of Mark, you are going to see people who are struggling with this idea of humiliation first and then glory later. The disciples continue to jockey over power and prestige and who is the greatest. And they ultimately disperse when it comes to the crucifixion. But you see the women and the widows and the outsiders to Judea, they seem to get it. They seem to understand. Those women are not afraid to show up at the tomb after Christ has gone down into the grave. There's a very clear message all throughout the Gospel of Mark. Christ's way to glory would be a way of suffering and humiliation, and the glory would follow. And Mark's message to all of us is, if you are going to have a share in the glory that Christ has, you too must follow in the way of humiliation. There is no other way to do it. And so, verse 34, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Christ is going to make a point of this. He is calling people together to come hear this. This is not going to be hidden away. This is not going to be some secret for a select few. He is going to say to everyone in Judea, everyone present at that time, you too, not just my disciples, but if you too are going to come after me, this is a way that you are going to go. You are going to deny yourself. You are going to take up your cross. And in this way, you will follow me. Deny yourself. Complete self-resignation. You have your own will and your own wants, but you are going to lay it down for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the sake of the kingdom. And if there is anything whatsoever that conflicts with the priorities of the kingdom of God, it goes away. 
and you put it aside. Your wants and your desires do not matter here. A soldier who enlists understands that his will no longer matters. His whole being is now given in service to his country. Where he is told to go, he goes. Whatever he is told to do, he does. There is no protest. There is no argument. It is just submission and go and do it. So Christ is saying, if you will be in the kingdom of God, part of your humiliation here is self-denial. You are giving your will entirely to the will of your Father in heaven. Take up your cross. I want you to stop and think a moment on this. Take up your cross. We are so used to hearing about the cross. It's been in children's books ever since we grew up, some of us. This would have shocked everyone who heard it. What to them was the cross all about? It was the most excruciating form of torture that a Jew knew about at that time. It was a sign of degradation and of humiliation. It was a sign of defeat. And to actually say, so Christ, are you actually saying the way that we are going to come into glory is by something that is basically a sign of defeat and death and humiliation? And Christ would say to them, yes, that is exactly what I am saying. Nothing seems less intuitive. When Spartacus was defeated and the whole army of slaves, how did the Romans hold it over their heads? Spartacus and all of his fellow, fellow soldiers, they were all crucified and crosses going all along the Appian Way. And it was Rome's way of saying, we have victory over these men. And let me warn you, if you're going to try what these men have done, the same thing is going to happen to you. By all accounts, it looks like a sign of defeat. But it is the way that glory would be achieved. Will every Christian be crucified? No. Will every Christian become a martyr? No. But Christ is saying, this is a picture of what kind of re resolution you ought to have in your discipleship. What does the cross mean? A cross means death. Christ is saying by this, you know that you may die in the course of discipleship. The New Testament testifies to it. Church history testifies to it. That if you are going to have a profession of Jesus Christ in some, world, in some places in the world, it will mean your death. And Christ is saying, you must have it made up in your mind that you may actually die in service. When must you die, though? A soldier must die even before he gets out into the battlefield. A soldier, before he even enlists, needs to think to himself, there's a real possibility I'm going to march out into open warfare, I'm going to get struck with a bullet, and that thing is going to take my life, 
perhaps caused excruciating agony. And not just for myself, but for my family and my friends and my fellow platoon members and all who have ever known me. And so the soldier must say to him, very well, I choose to die right now. Before I have even seen the battlefield, I die to myself right now. And so we must say to ourselves, I've counted the cost. Discipleship may cost my life. It is worth it. I am going. A cross means humiliation. Discipleship does not always feel glorious. You know, we need to be careful because, you know, the Christian life, we are exposed to so many glorious and wondrous things, and they catch our eyes. And so it is one thing to think about heaven and all the coming glories, but we must be real that discipleship in this world is demanding and costly and it is humiliating. It does not feel glorious sometimes when you go out on the streets and you evangelize and people are mocking and scoffing at you. It does not feel glorious when, you are being, when people are degrading you even while you are giving them the message of the gospel. It does not feel glorious when you are standing in front of an abortion mill and people are casting all sorts of slanders at you while you are engaged in this very important work. It does not feel glorious to have people degrade your name on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else it may be. And sometimes the reviling is worse than even physical sufferings. I think we all know, given the choice between physical suffering or humiliation or degradation, we probably feel more like we would want the physical suffering. Even Christ was scandalized in his ministry. His own mother and brothers were starting to become scandalized by him. They thought that he was out of his mind. In some ways, they they had a hard time even being associated with him. But Jesus Christ despised the shame, and he continued with the work that his father had given him to do. And so we must do the very same thing. A cross means endurance. A cross is not a quick one-and-done death. It is slow. Victims would hang on the cross in complete agony, sometimes for days at a time, all the while watching and witnessing people walking by them, looking at them in their humiliation and in their pain, perhaps mocking them. But we learn by the cross that if we are going to serve Christ, we must endure. You won't endure for a day or an hour Not even a week or a month or even a year. But we must endure all of our lifetimes. Whatever affliction the Lord Jesus Christ is pleased to send, whatever the trial or the temptation, we must endure and hold out to the end. Lastly, a cross says there is no return. A.W. Tozer said, you know one thing about a man carrying his cross outside the city. He was not coming back. And so, our decision to take up our cross and follow Jesus Christ 
it must be a final decision. We must have thought about everything, counted the cost, and we must say very well, that beam is coming on my back. I will begin my march. I am not turning away for anything. Jesus Christ, by this imagery, says nothing is off the table in regards to discipleship. These words, follow me. Jesus Christ, by these words, he is calling to imitation and he is calling to loyalty. Christ says, follow me. First of all, that means Jesus Christ himself is going in this way. He has just said earlier in the passage that he must suffer many things and that he must die in order to come into his glory. And so he's saying, I am not sending you as soldiers out on the battlefield and I'm just staying in my fortress of refuge. I am leading the charge here. What I am calling you to do, I myself am doing. And so Jesus Christ, by this he says, follow me and imitate me. And Jesus Christ is also calling us to loyalty. Follow me, just as loyal soldiers follow their king out into battle. And so the whole substance of denying oneself, taking up the cross and following him, you must have your mind made up. You must, you must have it in your heart that your exclusive loyalty is to Jesus Christ and to no other. And when there is any case when your will and his will are in conflict with each other, the will of Jesus Christ will prevail with you. You must say to yourself, whatever the cost even the cost of death or suffering or whatever loss in this life, His will be done. Our second part, verses 35 to 37. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The demand of discipleship is a weighty, all-encompassing demand. And Christ is saying, think very carefully. Because the demands here, the ramifications here, are eternal ramifications. It's not a matter only of this life but the life to come as well. Breaking this down again, as we have been doing, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Again, Christ is not engaging in any marketing or glossing or equivocating. He's saying, this is going to cost you everything. You may indeed lose your life. It will cost you your money, your wealth, your freedom, many things. And if that seems too much to you, 
If you try to live in such a way as to have the best of both worlds, you lose it all, plain and simple. However, if you can resign your soul to give up all the things of this world, whatever it is, so that you can have the glory of the kingdom, I tell you what, you are going to not only save your own life, you are going to gain so much more. Let us be clear. The demand of Jesus Christ for loyalty is mutually exclusive with love of the world or anything in this present life. Everything in this present world is subject to your Christian life. If your first concern is going to be having it good in this world, having it good with your neighbors, having a good reputation with men of the world, you are going to lose the favor of Jesus Christ. But if you can give it all up to follow Jesus Christ, who cares what you lose in this world? You will have eternal life. Jesus Christ says, for my sake, for my sake, Christ is God and King, and so He has all rights to your loyalty and your obedience on both counts. But the obedience must also be very personable. It must come from true love to Jesus Christ. Because you see that He is good. You see that He is holy. And you see that He is worthy. And you see that the Father has most righteously desired to give all the kingdom to Him. You must so love Jesus Christ. And you must so long for the full manifestation of His glory. You will say... Out of love to Him, I will rise up to these demands. That is what you are called to. For my sake and the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. And is it not fair? Are you saved from your sins? Have you been redeemed from hell and from sin? And did not the Lord Jesus Christ leave the glories of heaven to come down in flesh just like yours so that you may be saved from eternal destruction? Well then, is it not reasonable that you would also give your own life for the sake of the gospel so that others too might be saved and that others might come into the kingdom as well? It is not just about us getting to glory, but all of God's foreordained people coming to glory, bringing the gospel to all the nations. That is the call here. It is reasonable. Christ came down into humiliation for us. It is a small cost for us to go into humiliation for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the salvation of all men all nations, all peoples, all tribes. Let us be encouraged. Whoever loses his life for the sake of Christ and the gospel will find their life. It is not just that you will be spared at the coming judgment day, but you will be a partaker in glory you will not just have the life that you have now, but you will be set free from sin. 
you'll be set free from suffering, and you'll be given a glorified nature, made and fitted to drink in all the riches of heaven for all of eternity. And you are guaranteed because Christ is your husband, and the wife shares in all the glories of her husband. And so everything that Jesus Christ has in glory is also going to be yours. We come to verse 36, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The soul. This is all that a man has. A man can lose his body and for a time do well and have a decent existence. We lose our bodies and we go into glory. We can sustain for them without them for a time. But for someone to lose their soul, it is a complete travesty. They have lost everything. If the soul is lost, if the soul is damned, the whole man is lost. As Psalm 49, verse 7 to 9 tell us, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly, and it shall cease forever, that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. You can't give anything for your own soul. There is no amount of riches, no amount of service, not for all of eternity can you pay for your own soul. Once it is lost, it is gone. John Calvin remarks, we need to be reminded of this. And for this reason, Jesus Christ reminds us. Because we really are so stupid as times to give up what is infinitely precious for what only temporarily satisfies us. Such is our foolishness. But the way Jesus Christ demonstrates this to us is that it is a very easy calculation. Seventy or eighty years of all the pleasure that you could ever want and all the degrees that you could ever want only to come to the end of it and you suffer in hell forever and never even know a drop of water for all of eternity. But then you think, what is just a short lifetime of suffering? 70 or 80 years of it, maybe 90, compared to being in a pain-free, suffering-free, glorious eternity with God for all of eternity. It's a very easy calculation. And for these reasons, Paul says that all the trials and tribulations of this life are only a momentary light affliction. And he can say in Romans 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present world are nothing to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. Now you might say, I understand everything you are saying up there. And I agree with all of it. That is very clearly the meaning of the text, the way you are explaining it. But I must be honest with you. I find this immensely difficult to hear. Because I know my heart. I know the sin that is in my heart. 
I want to give Jesus Christ all the service that I possibly can, but what is going on inside of me? Just something in me shrinks away from this. And I'll tell you as a preacher up here, when I have wrestled with this, I feel it too. This is a very high demand for a renewed sinner. But there is our problem. We are still partially sinful. There's still part of us that has not been renewed. We are indeed new creatures, but we do have remaining sin. So even for the Christian, there's going to be something inside that is just tugging at you, just saying, no, just stay with the world. Just find some way to compromise on this. Try to have the best of all worlds if you can. I mean, don't we want to be wise as serpents or gentle as doves or whatever else? Do we really want to be this radical? Sin will find any excuse whatsoever to keep you from laying down your whole self in service to Jesus Christ. And in some measure, you're going to have that battle all of your life, so it's going to be a matter of continually wrestling with your own heart and submitting continuously to Jesus Christ. If that's your experience, it is a real Christian experience. Our problem is that we are idolatrous. We want worship for ourselves, don't we? Don't you know it in your own heart? You want others to glorify you. You want others to serve you. You want others to pivot their whole life around your wants and around your desires. And if we're honest, sometimes we chafe with God that He's not doing the very same thing for us. That's part of our remaining sin. It is continually mortifying our sin, continually submitting ourselves to the demands of the gospel and asking God to renew us. But our self-serving remaining sin, our remaining idolatry, these things strive to keep us back from fully submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ. Another part is humiliation. Martyrdom is not glorious. We would all like to think, when we think on the early church martyrs, and perhaps they did, perhaps they're standing in that Roman Colosseum, and they're watching those lions and those tigers come out of the ground and headed towards them. We like to think that they are just standing there resolute and absolutely firm in the eternity they know is coming. A little suffering and it's done. We would like to think that martyrdom and suffering is always like that. It is not always like that. And I don't doubt that they were resolute. And I don't doubt that they were captivated by the glory of Christ. Stephen was, saw him in heaven even as he was being stoned and he just went to sleep. But many fall away because there is real humiliation and degradation in following Jesus Christ. It is not a pleasant thing when co-workers start avoiding you because you got religious or because you refuse to play games with a business expense account or you refuse to fudge on your work or you refuse to stretch the truth to clients or whatever else, or you will not for anything work on the Lord's day. You will say, no, this is the day for my Lord to be with his people. I don't care what you put on me. This day is my day with him. 
They start turning backs on you, start treating you differently. They start finding everything wrong with you. And some people are more explicit. There may be name-calling, there may be mocking, whatever else. You've seen videos on YouTube or whatever else. What happens at some of these pride festivals? It is humiliation. I have not prepared them, but if you could just see some of the slanderous things that were said against the early church fathers because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. People will try to associate your name with everything shameful, everything grotesque, everything stupid, everything unintelligent, and they will try by all means to not leave any part of your good name untouched. But my friends, do not be scandalized. Isaiah 53 Jesus Christ would come into humiliation first, and then he would come into his glory. And so it is an exercise of the Christian to learn to despise the shame and endure the cross, because glory is coming. But do not compromise. You might think to yourself, well, maybe I can put in my might... Maybe I can still manage a way to keep my respectability with the world. You can't do it. Jesus Christ says that you can't. It may seem harmless. It may not alarm you to do something like that. But as one commentator has said, clean, respectable selfishness that seems to offend no one can still kill. Be aware of compromising with the world. But my friends, that is Christian experience. But I tell you, there are all the riches in Jesus Christ that you may indeed endure the cross and despise the shame. The Lord Jesus Christ who has gone that way, he will give you all resources that you need to complete the journey. He did it for his disciples. He did it for the early church fathers. He's done it for reformers. He's done it for missionaries. He does it this day for brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, you may be sure he will give you all grace to, to successfully complete this journey. We come to Christ's warning in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Shame. Not simply awkwardness. Not just that you get to heaven and you just, just want to turn your eyes down because you're slightly embarrassed, but you get on in anyway. Shame at this time was much more weighty than it is in our day. People commit all sorts of scandals and they don't even know how to blush over it. And nor will anyone blush for them. doesn't matter what you do today, what shameful thing you've been engaged in, no one's going to blush over it. But here we are not just talking about awkwardness, we are talking about societal dishonor. In the old world, shameful acts were taken much more seriously because when you did something shameful... You not only embarrassed yourself, you embarrassed your family as well. You embarrassed your community. And perhaps in some cases even embarrassed your own nation by what you have done. And they took it very seriously. 
I've heard stories that if a man was guilty of a shameful act, for example, maybe he was a deserter. He, he became a coward and he fled the battle scene. That man, if he was not put to death, he would have a new status in society and that was one of shame. And in some societies, if you did anything besides just simply hang your head in shame or just kept your eyes down at the ground, if you tried to hold your head up high as though you were anyone else, that was a punishable offense. They wanted the man to feel the weight of what he has done. And so Jesus Christ is saying here, if you will be ashamed of me, if you are so embarrassed at the mention of me, before a wicked and adulterous generation, people engaging in acts which you and your own conscience know are right and abominable and filthy, if you're going to turn your eyes down at the mention of me, as though you got something to be embarrassed about, I tell you this, when I return in glory, I also will be ashamed of you. I'll be embarrassed even to just look in your eyes and to think you were ever associated with me. And that is the case. Some might say, well, it just says that he will be ashamed. It doesn't mean that they're not necessarily going to see heaven. I've read that from one commentator, and among many good things that he's had to say, he was wrong there. 1 John chapter 2 where John is very clear that those who abide are in Jesus Christ. And those who do not abide are not in Jesus Christ. And 1 John 2 says, Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his appearing. John is saying very explicitly, those who are ashamed are those who did not abide in Christ. And when Christ comes again, they have no share in the kingdom. So Christ is very clear here. And as even Revelation tells us, who are among the first who are mentioned, who are cast into hell, the cowards. So my friends, take very seriously... Do not be ashamed of Jesus Christ in this generation. Do not blush at the mention of Jesus Christ in the, in the midst of a world where they are trying to celebrate sodomy, transgenderism, where the world has gone into utter nonsense over pronouns. Do not be ashamed of your testimony of Jesus Christ in this generation. to bring in some applications. And I am aware that what I am sharing this morning is very heavy. I had my own struggles as I have just gone through these things for myself. We will go over again these warnings, but I will also provide the encouragements. First application, think on eternity. Averages hold out, an American will live 70 or 80 years. 
And some will be healthy and vigorous enough to maybe live to be 90 or 100. But after that is eternity. It is either in heaven above with Christ or it is in hell in everlasting shame. And the ages just go on and on and on and on without ceasing. And so you must now ask yourself, what world should you be aiming for? Do you really want to give yourself over to pleasure for the next 70 or 80 years? I mean, would you really take all the riches of this life only to drop into hell when it comes time? Or do you see the great wisdom of saying, this may cost me everything. Maybe I will lose my job. Maybe my family will be ashamed of me. Maybe my friends will not want anything to do with me. Maybe one day I too will be subject to death for the testimony of Jesus Christ. But you know what? After that, there is no suffering. There is no pain. There is no sin. There is no sadness. Just eternal glory forever and ever and ever. And I am fully out of reach of all sufferings for eternity. You do that calculation in your mind. It's clear. But I still encourage you, sit down and think hard on this. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you because you want to have it absolutely fixed in your mind that this is worth it, that you will be immune to any excuse that anyone ever makes or any excuse that you might try to make for yourself on why you should try to mitigate the demands of discipleship. You want to get to that point where like a good soldier you say, I'm dead already, I'm going out into the battle after my captain and after my savior. I put the cross on my back, I'm marching, and I am not turning back. But suppose that you say, you know, this is just too much for me. I don't think that I can endure this you know what, I'm still going to try to have the best that I can in this world. And so if there is anyone who's thinking you are going to compromise anyway, and you are going to try to have your best in this life, let me tell you, there is, it, there is a great cost. There is humiliation in the Christian life, but it comes to an end. But there is humiliation for giving up as well. Not only in eternity, but also in this life. Jesus Christ said, if a man's going to build a tower, he needs to first count the cost and ask if he has the resources to complete it. Suppose a man, he starts building a tower, he's got great ambitions of building it, and he goes and he tells all of his friends and his business associates, I'm going to build this great tower then he gets halfway up and he realizes he can't finish. And it just becomes a laughingstock to all who pass by and see it. They laugh and they see that it's halfway done. And when they think of the guy who had these grandiose ideas of a great tower, they just shake their heads and they scoff and they laugh and they say, what was this guy thinking? He just simply couldn't do it. It will be that way for anyone who begins the Christian life and then they turn back. There is a character 
in Pilgrim's Progress called Pliable. When Pilgrim is setting out on his journey and he's telling Pliable about all these things, Pliable's listening, he's thinking, oh, that sounds wonderful, glory and riches and being with God for all of eternity, of course. Who wouldn't want a share of that? And so he goes and he's talking with Pilgrim and then along with Pilgrim, he stumbles into the slew of despond. And he just cannot believe that the path to glory would be filled with this kind of humiliation. And he is scandalized by it. He climbs himself out and he says, tell you what, you keep the glory for yourself. I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to all my old friends, my old job. He thinks by going back, he'll have everything just the way that he had it. He didn't. His friends made a laughing stock of him. It was the running joke that he took up this religious profession and he couldn't even carry it through. And he also faced other problems. No one wanted to hire him. Why? Because he showed that he was changeable and uncommitted. If anyone wants to turn back now, the Lord may indeed curse your prospects in this world as a judgment on you for your unfaithfulness. Do not think that by going back you are going to have the approbation of the world. You will not have it. At least not like you think you'd like to have it. And then there is humiliation forever. Hell is called everlasting contempt. It is a dungeon filled with traitors and turncoats, deserters and cowards. The saints and the sinners will be able to see one another. And when those in hell see those in heaven, they will look on them, they will see the saints in all of their glory, and they will realize these are all the people who continued until they reached the glory that I had just willingly given up. That will be part of the humiliation of hell. There's the glory that I could have had. But because of my sinful stupidity, I gave it up. But now, brothers and sisters, encouragements. Encouragements. You say, how am I ever going to do this? I don't think I can. In your own self, you certainly cannot. But have not brothers and sisters completed this journey? Didn't the early church martyrs face lions and beasts with joy? Didn't they go to those burning crosses with joy? Aren't brothers and sisters in other parts of the world laying down their lives willingly for the sake of the gospel? Are they not enduring? You have the same Christ. You have the same mediator. No soldier goes to warfare at his own cost. He is given all the arms. He is given all the training. He is given all the resources. He's given all of his meals. Jesus Christ calls you to this life of discipleship, but you know what? The resources and provision are not going to come from you. They're going to come from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went to the cross 
And he endured so that you would persevere. He did not die on the cross so that those whom he died for would only make it halfway and then just drop off. He died on the cross and he did such a work of mediation that his people absolutely will make it to the end. And not all are going to have the same degree of suffering in this life. Some will have an easier life than others simply by God's providence, although they will endure trials and temptations. But who knows that some in this life may even give their lives for the sake of the gospel. It may indeed happen. But in any case, Christ will cause you to persevere if you believe on Him to do it. There is the testimony of the Old Testament saints. Hebrews 11. Men and women who even in a time of lesser light and lesser glory, they had such a vision of God that they saw giving up the whole of their lives was worthwhile in order to pursue God and be citizens of a heavenly city. Abraham sees that it is worth it to leave all of his relations, all of his friends in the land of Ur, to go to a land that he knew not where, but even then he did not possess the land while he was alive, but he knew that he would be possessor of a greater city whose builder and maker is God. Moses, educated with all the riches and all the wisdom of Egypt, he sees that it is more worthwhile to be with the suffering people of God out in the wilderness than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. And he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So, brothers and sisters, the Old Testament saints call you to perseverance. So do the New Testament saints as well. Those are the apostolic times. All the disciples of jo except for John gave their lives for the gospel it wasn't because John cowered out simply by providence. He was not martyred. But all of them, even Peter, who denied Jesus Christ, church history informs us he went to a cross as well, just as his Savior. They have shed, they have shed their blood for the sake of the gospel. They persevered and they made it. The same Jesus Christ will also cause you to persevere as well. The early church calls you to persevere, whether thrown to lions, whether taken to crosses, whether executed in other parts of the world today, whether burned at the stake like the reformers were. They say, yes, we endured, and you may as well. Hebrews 12, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I just try to imagine all the saints in heaven, and I am sure that they know what is going on in this world. But I am most certain that if they could, they would just love to come back and just cheer us on and say, go on, go on, persevere. It is so worth it. Yes, we gave up our lives. 
We gave up our jobs. We gave up our wealth. We gave up our families. But oh, if only you can see all the glories that we participate in now. And it is forever. Brothers and sisters, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They are calling you to persevere and to endure. And I do believe that for the people living in Michigan at this time, this is such a needed word. Because it just seems that the government of this state is just cracking down, just determined to promote wickedness with those radical abortion laws months ago. And now this pronoun law that's coming through right now, who knows what it's all about, but one thing's for sure, they want to compress the church into its agenda. Might that time actually be nearby where it's going to be your your faith, or your freedom, where simply for not using the right pronouns, you can face some years in prison? Might it come to Pennsylvania, where I live? Might it come to other states? Persevere. Endure the cross. Despise the shame. Do not give in to these agendas. They are the ones, they are the guilty ones, the adulterous and sinful generation. Do not blush before them. But also above all, Jesus Christ has gone before you in all of this. You will never in all of your life suffer the way that Jesus has. You will never be tempted as he has been tempted. You will not feel the humiliation that he did. He has gone infinitely low, lower than you ever will. He has completed his work. He has gone to the cross, and by Jesus Christ, yes, you may indeed finish the work that he has given you to do. Brothers and sisters, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. But do not look to yourselves Abide in your Savior, the author and finisher of your faith. If you will do that, you will most certainly endure to the end and be saved. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Our Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, this is a weighty word, but Christ is clear. We pray, Father, grant all grace to submit to the demands that are made here. But they are indeed gracious demands. We were not doing anything like our Savior has done. Give grace to this congregation to lay up this word, to remember it, to apply it. But Lord, help all in this room that their eyes will not be on themselves for their resources, but that their eyes will be on the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. His name we pray. Amen.